Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Bryn Stardens, uh, Chris Legg, and Chris Sherrod. Guys, I'm excited to be back um, in the studio. In my first trial of uh, starting off, I said that what we were going to be talking about today is fun. Um, <laughs> and in actually thinking about that, it's not actually fun, but it is important. Some of the stuff we're going to be addressing. Um, really, we're going to start unpacking some of the um, some of the answers to the question or res- our responses to the question, is scripture immoral by today's standards? So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting into those conversations. First thing, though, I want to uh, throw it over to Chris Legg um, because you have, I mean, the whole purpose of this is to help people along their journey of deconstruction to hopefully reconstruct their faith on right. something solid. Right. And so you you were just talking to us about a conversation you had with a young man who is in the midst of deconstruction. And so yeah. would you mind just telling us a little it was bit about a, it? It was fascinating. One, it was encouraging because the reason the young man reached out to me was because his mother had listened to these podcasts. Cool. And uh, and so when she heard her college-age son talking about his uh, deconstruction or, or whatever, I guess, she said, you ought to reach out to the people on that podcast. And so uh, he had reached out to me, and we got a chance to talk, and it was intriguing to hear just to hear his conversation as he, um, I mean, he just straight said where he goes to college or where he goes to university that they require Bible classes, but the purpose of the Bible classes and the theology classes is to have the students deconstruct their faith um, in Scripture and in, and at least in Scripture, if not in God entirely. Um, <clears throat> and so they, you know, there was a class where they had a PowerPoint <clears throat> where the professor showed them, you know, example after example after example of places where the Bible contradicted itself, allegedly. Um, and the only one he could remember um, when we were talking was the death of Judas. And so um, at some point, you know, it's our strategy and our plan at some point to go through some of the most famous um, alleged contradictions in Scripture yes. and what that even means, what a contradiction in Scripture, if there was one, what would that imply? What would that mean? Um, and uh, like, I mean, there's so many levels to have that conversation. Would, would it matter if there were two different versions of Judas's death that canceled each other out? Mm-hmm. Even if that was true, what would that mean for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, anyway, it's a that's a, that's but but is it true? Is it even accurate that there's two different versions of Judas's death? Or and uh, and I know Chris and I have spent quite a bit of time on this topic, um, and we could probably come up with much better examples of things that are hard, much, much more difficult to explain than the death of Judas. And yet that was the example in this young man's, young man's mind. And that was the class. Didn't you have to draw it out of him? Yeah. Even then it was really, it it was, he had a hard time coming up with any of the examples the professor had thrown at him. And yet it had caused him to really question and doubt the basic faith that he went into school strongly, like Mm -hmm. committed to. Um, so maybe it wasn't even the specifics; it was just the the accumulation of all of it together. You, of you essentially just quoted him. That's exactly yeah. right. It was the accumulation of all the little things, mm-hmm. and um, and again, just the fact that we want to make sure we're equipping our listeners and others to 
deal with all the small things and to carry all the big ones. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not yeah. one or the other, but um, that's the it's intriguing. The kind yeah. of a thousand little cuts um, is a hard way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, what I think is really great too is like not only dealing with the little things, but also realizing that what we believe is not just like it's reasonable. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is this is not just something that it's like. Well, we just got to have more faith mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. So, but I think also to realize the the heaviness of it that what you believe ultimately affects how you live your life, and so these aren't small little details that we should just accept. Like you said, Chris, it's the small things too. Because if someone ends up walking away from their faith, that that's the trajectory of your life now that you're walking yeah, away right. from. It's mm-hmm. going to affect your your marriage or your, you know, your big, your morals, all these big things are going to be affected. So it is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and even I think a lot of times what mm. small thing affects us is different per person. And so, you know, uh, something that may seem small to someone else may be the thing that really gets to me. And, you know, and so that'll be different for all of us, which is why another reason we not need community and need to ask questions of, of others and not just stay in our, our heads with that. But and I think we learned, I mean, as Chris Sherrod pointed out really well, you know, when, when we do hear something that throws us off, Chris has said a few times, just because it's new to you doesn't mean it's new. Right. And you can't take things at face value. I mean, right. you know, I asked the young man if he had gone back and, and evaluated the actual arguments one by one, and and he really hadn't. And part of that was he had so many thrown at him mm-hmm. that, that separating mm-hmm. those out... Um, I've I've almost laughed at like of you know that you can download a list of all the ten thousand different contradictions in scripture. But I think there's like a co- BibleContradictions.com or something. I, I think so, yeah. and it's got thousands <laughs> upon thousands. But if you actually were to go through and look them up, which we joked about that being the future of our podcast, is us just doing three a week, right, um, for the rest of our lives. Um, is that is that nine thousand nine hundred and fifty of them? Are, are absurd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not contra- They're obviously not contradictions, and there's obvious solutions and answers to them that a preschooler could spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a there's a few dozen of them that are authentically more challenging. Yeah. Um, and what I mean, what does that say about our culture, or maybe our church culture, that we like a lot of people? I'm assuming who ascribe to you know I'm walking away from my faith. Right. Are not taking a deliberate ap- approach to ask hard questions. Well, right. I, I mean, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, I think, and some of this applies to our conversation that we're moving into today, but I think it's a number of things. Like we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, some of it is laziness on our part. As Americans, we just want, we don't want to put in the work and yeah. we want it to be just like fed to us. And, um, and then some of it is, you know, ignorance of we've just heard a lot of things and maybe we didn't have the tools previously or didn't know what the tools were that were at our disposal that we could dig in. And then I think there's also a level of, um, you know, deception also for people who want to malign the word of God, who are throwing these things at people for that reason. So I think it, I think it's there's a yeah. lot of different reasons for it, but but yeah. something you mentioned, Bren, I think is helpful. Is <clears throat> it would be interesting, Chris, to ask him. So, was your first thought was who can I, who else can I talk to about this? Oh, that's a great question. Like, who, what community can I go to? Or I don't know where he went to church or whatever. But is there a group of people that I can go? Wow, this is a 
I'm confused or did he feel the freedom or did he feel like, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's another thought there, which goes back to even what we've talked about with David Smalley's yes. church, apparently that he didn't feel the freedom um, right. at all. If it, he felt the opposite where you're not free to ask questions or to be or you, honest with sorry. your doubts. <laughs> or like you don't know where, where to go to ask questions. If you don't have people in your life, then what resources? Because I know right. with like a lot of Gen Z right now and teenagers, they know that they have unlimited access of, of information at their hands, but they distrust information more widely because they know how much false information there are. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah. false information there is. And so I think that's part of it too, is just probably an o being overwhelmed of if you don't have a good community around you or good resources that you've been given, not even knowing where to go, for a trustworthy resource to, to start research, you know? Yeah. Yep, so true. And I know we said this before, but it is also always fair to ask how, where, where is your heart? Like how much did you want this to be the case? You know what I'm saying? Like a yeah. lot of people, they, they want to live the way they want to live and their morality is what's driving their theology versus mm -hmm. the other way around. I don't know. I'm just thinking not to, not to say this young man was or whatever, but I'm right. just saying I just wonder how many people are like, okay, this is this helps me. This confirms in my mind what I want to be true. Yeah, and so I'm not going to try very hard to remember what they really were. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. And and just checking it. I mean, I remember, yeah, Chris, how how when David brought in the idea of you know the the virtuous animals, right, and and. That was new to you, and so you're like, "That's fascinating. That's amazing. I need to go look that up." And you looked it up, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> Animals are horrible. <laughs> right. Opposite, yeah. yeah, they're terrible. Um, yeah, and and I don't think so. Like with a guy like David, I don't think David did that in bad. Like I don't think David intended to be dishonest about that. Right. My guess is he heard it somewhere, and he didn't run the check. He didn't check it, but it fit with with the narrative, and so it was a great thing for him to bring to the mm -hmm. table too. And so it doesn't mean that somebody's motives are wrong. The professor's motives may not be wrong. That professor may authentically think these are really powerful contradictions and kids need to be set free of this, you know, whatever, this fear of this fearful God. And and so maybe their motives are sound. They're just not, they're just not solid on it. So, Which is anyway. convicting for all of us because I think we're all, um, we are all tempted by confirmation bias yeah. because of how the human brain is. And I think... It's convicting to me to make sure that what I'm saying and believing I have thought through and have am able to back it up because if some of my reasons or some of my facts are are false or shallow, then that may end up impacting someone else just because I grabbed something because it fit with what I already wanted to believe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, that's great. Well, Chris, thank you for unpacking that. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing for that. And we're, I mean... And, and I hope that young man gets... I mean, I would love for him to... I encouraged him to listen to the podcast and uh -huh. engage. I hope he hears this one and yeah. hears himself being talked about and, and has been encouraged and is yeah. willing to dig into these things deeply. So that's, awesome. that's great. That's great. That's, I'd be proud of that. Well, Bryn, we're kind of switching gears on you. Yeah. Well, let's move into... Uh, Back to our topic. Yeah, the main topic is Scripture Immoral by Today's Standards. And we're going to start off um, 
kind of with the umbrella of sexism. Mm, fun. <laughs> is there a reason we're asking Bryn to take point on that? <laughs> she, like, she, I mean, is our, a, she is our token because female. You're obviously all sexist. <laughs> and apparently, or we're not allowed. We're not allowed to speak about this. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm the only one that can be an authority on this. No. Thank you. Um. No, I. Yeah, I. I think I would love to start talking about. The, be the the first to start talking about this primarily from a standpoint of empathy, even just because I understand when it comes to conversations with other women or even feelings that I've had in the past, I think there are a lot of verses that when cherry picked, like we just talked about or taken out of context, um, do seem sexist or that the Bible is oppressive to women. And so on the front end, I think if that's all that you've heard or it's been taught to you without context of those verses and, um, just the bigger picture of scripture, I think that is that is a temptation to think that. And I think some of the t- first times I heard some of these verses, I had the same thought. And, and that's hard, and that's real. And I think the deep hurt of that is connected so much with how people in authority or the church have misused or abused women, and that's a, another conversation that I think we're going to get into later. But, but I think it's tied closely tied to that. And so I think it's important to discuss this and not just leave it because if women are told that the Bible is sexist or oppressive to women, I think that can really affect your view of the Lord and even Jesus and, um, and really be damaging for faith. And so, yeah, I think it's a really important topic for that reason, just speaking as a woman. Um, so, but yeah, um, so just kind of digging in and anybody can jump in and interrupt me if you have some thoughts, but because like we've said before, um, we, truth is truth regardless of, um, mm-hmm. where you're, what perspective you're coming That's from. Exactly and so, right. um, with that worldview, we believe that men and women can know truth about these things. Yep. But so I think some of the verses just, and I'll just throw out a couple um, of the popular ones, but there are a lot of verses in the old Testament that, that are offensive, um, when it comes to like how to handle situations of rape or, you know, even in the new Testament, when it comes to the most pop, probably most quoted verses about, um, women should be submissive and they should be quiet and they should be ordered not to speak. And, Um, and all of those things, I think those are some of the most popular verses that get thrown out frequently. Yes. And so the, the thing I wanted to start with is the bigger picture of the story of God. And we see like in Genesis, we see that God created men and women, both in his image, both sharing responsibility and mission. And, Mm -hmm. and then we see that even the word, which I love this, the Hebrew word helper, when it says that Adam needed a helper. Yeah. And we think <clears throat> of the word helper as like, Adam needed someone to do the dishes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right. like, no, but the... He needed a servant. Yeah, he needed a servant. But, and I'm, an, if this is incorrect, you can correct, you can um, let me know. But the word helper appears over 20 times in the Old Testament, and uh-huh. it's mostly used when referring to God, to God Himself, that's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> Which yeah. once clearly, you, it's not once a diminishment, that, right? And once mm. you hear that, um, it's in Psalm thirty-three twenty. We wait in hope for the Lord, for He is our help and our shield. And so, yeah. even hearing that alone, 
completely changes the way that you view even that of like God bringing Adam a helper and it gives so much dignity and so much um, gives you the picture of how God intended it before sin was ever ever entered the world. And so I, I love that God starts with that and the, and scripture starts with that. Um, And then we know that sin affected all of our relationships and male and female relationships being one of them. And so my understanding is that after Adam and Eve chose sin, then even their relationship, I think God gave them potentially different responsibilities before sin, but once sin entered, then the consequences of sin and how that affected their relationship to each other is what was directly affected. For sure. Okay, I want to go back further. Yeah. I got a question for you. Oh, All right, so further than okay. Yeah, so <laughs> this is one of the things that's fascinating to me is that the okay. I'm gonna, I'm going to ask it this way. So one, those of you who don't know, Bryn, Bryn's tough. <laughs> so when we brought when I brought the uh, taser knives, uh, which is a whole other story, to our staff retreat, the the only person who volunteered to go toe to toe with me with the taser knives was Bryn. Well, can I tell you, the first time I ever met Bryn... Oh, no. This we, is not um, story time about we were, Bryn. We were worried. This, it's this in, it's on context. brand. It's sure. on brand. <laughs> um, Bryn was... Uh, we were... So at Pine Cove, you get a, a camp name. Right. And so somebody knew that she did Krav Maga. And so right. they're like, show us. And so she did it on her brother. Which so is, she did this is really self-defense yes. for yeah. those of you that so don't she know. did this move on her brother who... The, who y'all are? I mean, he's taller than you. Is he taller than you? Yeah, barely. He wasn't. Yeah, he. At we that were point, similar size at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. And that you you kind of flipped him over. <laughs> he's and then and then Bryn said, "I can't finish the move because I would have to kill him." <laughs> I did not. Say <laughs> you that. did. You did. That's I'm pretty so sure obnoxious. you said that. <laughs> um, and then we were like, that "Oh, was, ooh, yeah." Um, I remember but, I was there that day. That was that's cool. so obnoxious, though, that I said that. <laughs> okay. College brand, my you gosh. Didn't say it in a, but the, that's the thing. Yeah, okay, here's comedy. the thing. You didn't say it in this, like, oh, I can kill him. Yeah, like, yeah. You were just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. I, I can't, can't show the end of the move. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just can't do it. Bummer. So, so I, I want to clarify that first. So, that being said, so there's, there's three of us guys who are on this. You are aware enough, being a martial artist, if you had to go toe to toe, Mm-hmm. With me or Chris Sherrod or Colson, and I don't know about Colson's training. <laughs> what odds would you give you toe to toe fist punch fists? All three of you at once? No, or no, one, one at a time. time. <laughs> like just as a, as a boxing match. Yeah, I mean there there's something to be said for like skill and speed, but when it comes to purely strength, I yeah. mean not good odds. Right. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I want you to hear. There's nothing natural right. about equality between sexes. Right. Nothing. In the natural world, we don't see equality between sexes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing natural about that. So where do we even get the idea that there's some type of equality between the sexes? That the sexes have equal value? That the sexes have equal principle? That the sexes have equal dignity? Where does that even come from? We don't see lions debating this or wolves debating this or spiders debating this. Mm. They don't discuss that. Where does the even the idea that the sexes should be equal come from? I mean, was were cave people, or was were were men and women equal? Do you think among cave people was that an equality thing that they wrestled with? Was I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think probably the bigger, stronger men took advantage of the the weaker women whenever they wanted to. Mm-hmm. That's probably how that because that's how that works in the natural world. Sometimes the female animal is larger than the male animal, and usually you can figure out why that works out well, right? 
But where does the, even the idea come from? When you go to tribal places, are they, is there equality between the sexes there? Is that something that they have struggled for and put in place? Mm-mm. No. Nope. The, the root source of the idea that men and women are equal is probably the verse you just quoted in Genesis 127. Mm, actually, there I thought sh- of that. There should be no such mm-hmm. thing as equality between the sexes. So you, you can have a woman who has spent several years training to fight mm-hmm. and still would have a hard time going toe-to-toe against a guy. It's just so you have a higher odds of surviving. Not that's right. Not that they're somehow, yeah. And again, that's different when you can catch a guy off guard and, you know, who's but trying to make a move on you. But it's not necessarily equaling the playing yeah, field. that's yeah. right. And so that's that. That's not about fairness. And of course, mm-hmm. there are women who could probably take any of our heads off. And sure. the, but then there are. But the on the average, the the concept of equality between sexes is not a natural idea. Mm. It's not something that Christianity or that that Judaism came in and messed up. That the world was this equal place where men and women, males and females, were equal. And then someone wrote Leviticus, and like, well, pff, well, now that's gone. Mm. <laughs> um, there was no such concept. And should have probably been, and would naturally be no such concept. I've read all the other world religion books, and I don't remember there being a single reference to this at the same level as there is here in the very first chapter of the very first Mm -hmm. book, which is that men and women have the same dignity created in the image of God. So you have to give you have to give Judeo Christian ethic. The, the credit for being the root source of even the idea that men and women should be equal. Hmm. And that's where we need to start add, this conversation. Yeah, I would add, if you read the writings of Charles Darwin, he was very much men are superior <clears throat> in every way than women. Interesting. Like, very sexist, very much. Yeah. Which, again, if you're, if you're a strict evolutionist, men have clearly evolved at uh, the physical advantage over women. And so... Man's survival of the fittest. That's how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's it's you take Genesis 127 out and it gets ugly very quickly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, which is interesting yeah. that that's what Jesus went back to when he was challenged on divorce because it, in his yep. time, a man could just, if he wanted to on a whim, decide, I'm going to divorce my wife. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talked about it's your hardness of heart, it's the sin in your heart. But he said, have you not read that at the beginning? And he goes back and talks about how God made them male and female. And so you read the Genesis account, and they're co-equal, they're co-you um, know leaders, they're co-working in the garden. They're, they're they're not equal in every role and every respect, but as far as dignity and equality and all, before standing before God, they're they're equal. And I think the helper thing is because we already have our stereotypical idea of like, oh, you're. I'm going to go in the garage and my little helper kid is going to come be my helper for the day. Yeah. <laughs> and we think it's like that way of thinking versus a whole other way to think of it is like, no, this is totally admitting that we need help. Like this mm-hmm. is admitting, like I need a helper. Like I can't do this on my own to accomplish all of what God's called me to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I think, I mean, obviously, there are individual pas- passages that we can go and tackle if we mm-hmm. have time. But, um, but I think that bigger picture of once the, how the culture was treating women versus the commands of God and even the life of Jesus mm-hmm. is what has been most helpful, even to me, of just seeing the bigger picture of yeah. I mean, individually breaking down those verses that seem problematic, but but when it comes to okay, Adam and Eve sin in the garden and then all of 
all of life became broken because of that. And mm-hmm. so from there you start to see polygamy grow and like yep. the, you know, male oppression of women, men's oppression of women and all these different things. And so, and we've mentioned before in the podcast that just because things are listed in scripture or recorded doesn't mean that God is condoning them. And so there's a difference between things that God specifically says, this is my plan and things that are recorded. So like the fact that Solomon had an obscene amount of women, um, 700 what? wives and 300 Three, concubines, yeah, according just to ridiculous. Yes. I mean, the man needs some therapy, let's be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that it's, you never see God affirming his his choice of that lifestyle. If anything, he's saying, yeah, all your lives, wives have led you away from me. In fact, you want to comment on that one? I think that's a good one to comment on real quick. I think it's Deuteronomy 17 and maybe Deuteronomy 14. Let me in a second. Here it is. Laws concerning Israel's kings. God gave specific instructions to the kings of Israel. You can find them in Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. Um, Verse 16 starts with the list. Must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire horses. Good. 17. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Those three rules. So not only when the Bible references someone like Solomon having a bunch of wives, or even David having several wives, understand the Bible has already made clear that that was in opposition to God's design for kings. Mm. And so uh, you're exactly right. There are lots of passages that are descriptive. That doesn't mean they're proscriptive mm-hmm. or prescriptive, either one. It's, it's a description of what happened. Sometimes even those cases, like in this one, um, by the way, when you go to the Samuel passages that list Solomon's, they're, they're directly a copy from this, and then it says he had this many wives, he had this many horses, and he sent the people back to Egypt to get horses, and he had this much wow. silver. Yeah. And so it was clearly, it, those, those passages are a condemnation of Solomon. Mm-hmm. God's already had given instructions to his kings. Mm-hmm. Don't have more than one wife. Yeah. One, one is what I've designed for you. And then from the beginning, they ignored that instruction, mm-hmm. and the nation struggled and suffered because of it. And the Bible is pretty open about all the problems that it caused, right. just practically of of recording how much strife, you know, even even Jacob yep. who had two, <laughs> yep, um, how many problems and division and and all those things that it caused when they didn't follow God's plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love how. The Old Testament, I mean, we can, I definitely want to talk about Jesus's view of women, but, but even the Old Testament, there are many women who are listed as those that God specifically raised up for a purpose and to lead and to have an impact and to change yep. the course of history, you know, whether it's the commonly known ones like Deborah and Esther or less, maybe lesser known like Miriam and Hulda, was that the mm-hmm. prophetess? Hulda the prophetess. Yep. Um, who, who had gates named after her on the temple and was a prophetess among other prophets, but was chosen yeah. to, um, I forget which, I think it's Josiah who yeah. she's the one who got to explain to Josiah, the new King, what the law meant. Right. Right. Yeah, that was yes. my, my sermon. Really? Today? Remember Wait, when I, when, when I preach my life changing sermon guys, <laughs> don't you remember this one? It was amazing. No. When I when I was role playing, I was pretending to be the oh oh yeah 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 serving oh, guy. Oh yes, yes. I do yes. remember that. For D now. Yeah, we got to go talk to Holda. 
Oh, I'd forgotten yep. to hold them and be mentioned in that one. Um, yeah. Or even like the Proverbs 31 woman who is listed as someone who does a lot of things that would seem inappropriate if the Bible was was mm. um, actually oppressing women of like no. she had a business and she was, you know, yep. all these things. But that's a, I always love. I mean, the Proverbs 31 woman is such a great example because um she's queen of her domain like she's Mm -hmm. got it going on like she is totally wise and confident and making decisions and it says her husband has full confidence in her she's not like every decision saying hey do i have permission to do this like she's she's got it going on like she's strong and confident and hardworking and giving commands and providing like she's not this barefoot pregnant in the kitchen woman that is just waiting for her husband to get home to tell her what to do next. Like it's not at all like that. Yeah. And not, and yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing weak or, or inappropriate about her. Like she's, right. she's, and, and, and I love the fact that, and, and, and that her husband is not, I mean, he is, he is mostly referenced as like, and this works out really well for him. Yeah. Not, not as, you know, that yeah. somehow he's lording it over her in the midst of this. He's, he goes almost unmentioned in the passage. Her life is dependent on her relationship with God, not her relationship with her husband primarily. Oh, yeah. She used to be praised. And it's the same word, the the wife of noble character. It's the word noble that's used to describe David and uh, Gideon and Boaz. Like it's a it's a great Boaz and Ruth. The and Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boaz and Ruth are the two people in that story who are given that same word. But I think when you read Proverbs 31, this is my my opinion would be. The reason that's not highlighted as much is because if you don't value the home, hmm. because you're not making all this income, which she is actually making some income. Yeah, she has runs but, her own business. Yeah. But if you don't value the home or making a paycheck, because it's not the same thing that men are doing, then you're not going to see this passage as valuable. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> Which is so GK funny because the men weren't making a paycheck either, probably. Right, they right, were right, working but, on their farm. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. But G.K. Chesterton, so, so Chesterton, so this is, this is an ancient quote, but here's what he says. He's talking about feminism, and he says, it, feminism, is mixed up with a muddled idea that women are free when they serve their employers, but slaves when they help their husbands. <laughs> wow. Isn't that good? That's painful. It's like all of those amazing qualities there. I mean, this, this Proverbs 31 woman would be like employee of the year, you know what I mean? Or boss of the year, if she had all those qualities, but it's the, if you don't value the home as the place where she's exuding those qualities, then it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be very valuable to you. Yeah. I think that's a great point because I think, I think it's helpful to say that if, if you don't have a biblical understanding of um, the family and the home and even when, and this is like a different conversation um, that is, is great, but we probably don't have time for today. Just that what submission means specifically and Mm. and how that works between men and women. But if you don't have an accurate view of that, then, then the Bible may be sexist to you because you don't understand, like, um, you don't have the same values, you know, like if you think that, um, (laughs) okay. Go ahead. Keep going. You're good. No, no, no. It's good. I'm saying like, if, and maybe not sexist isn't the right word, but maybe offensive is the right word. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have the biblical understanding of how under Christ, how beautiful some of this can be and how beautiful it's meant to be, then it will be offensive that it is celebrated that she was serving her family and getting up early to make them food and 
you know, like there are a lot of those things that I think it is realistic to admit those are still offensive um, to some people who don't agree with the biblical model. But I think the piece that you have to remember is the view that's presented is often not the biblical model. It's a distorted view. It's um, stereotype. Yeah, stereotype. Hey there, Colson here. Just drop it in your ears to say if you enjoyed this episode, but maybe felt like the conversation wasn't quite finished, uh, one, you would be right, and two, not to worry. We will actually have part two of this conversation about sexism in the Bible out next week. This conversation ended up being longer than usual, and we won't be in studio on July 4th, which is a Monday, which is when we typically record, so it worked out great. Anyway, you can look forward to that. Thanks for listening, and we are so grateful for you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people to find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.